Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Grab Lives podcast. I'm joined, as always, with my good friend, John Vargas. And today we have a very special guest. Kendall Wood is with us. Kendall and Yoga is her handle on Instagram. And we met a couple months ago. And I was immediately impressed with how much Kendall has going on. There's a lot of yoga and breath work and couples retreats. Kendall is engaged to a Cal Fire engineer. So she knows a lot about our career and the lifestyle that comes with it. Already, I can feel that Kendall just has an amazing energy about her. Um, it's been a very stressful week at work. And speaking of work, the views expressed in this podcast do not reflect any official view of the Los Angeles Fire Department. But I've been feeling very sleep deprived, running on empty, um, feeling uh a little anxious about a commitment later today. We have another doctor's appointment. Um, and so I came over to John's this morning to do a cold plunge and it got my mind on the right track. But then I started talking to Kendall and she just completely took control of the room right now and um, got John and I to do a little breath work. And I feel better immediately. So I'm very honored to have you here. I really appreciate you making the drive up from San Diego. And I feel like we just have so much to talk about. So it's my intention today that we'll talk about yoga. We'll talk about breath work. We'll talk about all you do as far as rituals, routines, and practices that keep you grounded. And then we have a special opportunity to ask you about being in a relationship with a firefighter. So recently, John and I, we did peer support training. And a lot of our coworkers were telling us that their spouses are big fans of the podcast. And, you know, a lot of the emphasis lately on our mental health training is, has been how to return home, how to transition from work to home life. And so, Kendall, we're going to get started. I can't wait to hear your perspective on all of these things. And um, yeah, just, just tell us, you know, what's your favorite practice, what you, what you do to make a living, and then hopefully we'll get into the relationship stuff. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy and really grateful to be here with you too. Um, I love what you're doing and just being able to talk about these things and talk about your experience as firefighters is so important. Um, yeah, so like you mentioned, I'm a yoga teacher, yoga therapist. I do a lot of work with the Cal Fire Training Center. I work for the Cal Fire Fire Academy teaching yoga and mindfulness as part of their behavioral health program for their Firefighter 2 Academy. How long is how long have they been doing that? Um, we've been doing it. This is my fourth year with them. Wow. So they're they're a little ahead of the curve, right? They're totally ahead we, of the curve. We do not are, we have a 5-month drill tower, 0 days on yoga and breathwork and wellness. Yeah. And honestly, out of everything I do, that's my favorite thing that I do is teaching really? at the Fire Academy because uh, the Cal Fire Firefighter 2 Academy is a seven-week academy. Mm -hmm. And for that entire seven weeks, they are like going hard, like studying on the weekends yeah. all day, every day. And I get the opportunity to go in there and be like, I'm there for three to four sessions per academy. And it's like the only three to four hours during the academy where I tell them like, okay, this is the only time where you get to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Whether that's laying on your mat and taking a nap or following along and challenging your body, like whatever it is, it's like, this is your opportunity to reconnect with yourself. And I can just tell when I leave the room, 
the change in energy of like going from that really high paced, stressful environment to like sure. giving themselves an hour to chill out and rest, how important that is. So really it, grateful that Cal Fires let me do that. Yeah. I was going to ask, was it difficult to negotiate, you know, to get yourself a part of the program or were they receptive to it? They were very receptive to it. I was awesome. really lucky. I mean, I can tell you guys maybe a little bit about my backstory and how I ended up there. Yeah, there's absolutely. a little journey involved. Um, but once I was there, I would, I had been asked to be there. So it wasn't like a big negotiation. Right. It was like, come in and do your thing and let's see if we like you. And then after that, it was a go. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, but yeah, do you want me to tell my whole backstory? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah? Okay, cool. So I want to like zoom way back to start because I think it's important to tell you like how I found yoga initially because that's really shaped the yoga teacher I've become and why I do this. Um, but I was at a point in my life when I was in my early twenties, I just finished college. I graduated. I was feeling really like lost and unsure of what I wanted to do with my life. I was living in Seattle at the time and working three jobs and just trying to figure out what I wanted to do as an adult. I was working an office job during the day and then I would work a dinner shift at a restaurant and then I would go cocktail waitress until two or three in the morning. Damn. So sometimes American dream right there. Oh my God. <laughs> well, it's funny because I mentioned you <laughs> have a lot. That's what you think that you want to do. And when you're young and have a lot of energy, it sounds like a good idea, but I was like burning myself out so yeah. hardcore. Yeah. Um, I was making good money, but I was exhausted. And like yeah. some days I would, you know, wake up at eight or nine work until three, walk down the street, go to the dinner service until 10. And then um, the place I cocktail waitress at was like right uh, downstairs from where I worked. And then I would just keep working until, you know, whatever hour of the night. And I had no healthy coping mechanisms at the time. I didn't have time to exercise. I didn't have time to eat well. I was like having a bar on the way from one job to the other yeah. and having some drinks with friends after work. And Really, like alcohol was my only coping mechanism at that point in time. I was drinking a lot and noticing over time these other negative side effects of that lifestyle where I was having anxiety, I was having panic attacks, I was having these like weird vertigo type symptoms where I would just feel kind of like dizzy and loopy sometimes. And it was starting to affect my ability to perform at work and it was affecting my relationships. And I was definitely turning to alcohol and like partying yeah. to regulate myself. Cause I was like, oh, okay, I'm feeling pretty crappy. If I have a drink, I probably won't feel so bad. Right. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that feeling. Yeah. I could up until, I don't know, 26, 27. Now, I mean, drinking doesn't give me energy at all. I mean, I can't do the no sleep and yeah. staying up having drinks. It doesn't work. That yeah. rat race is seriously. A major problem it's an epidemic because it's causing everyone to be disconnected with themselves mm -hmm. mind body spirit and the fact you go into yoga and it connects you you feel a huge change i mean that's a night and day right and i think we, we go on all these calls where we go on to a business office and someone's just crashing because they can't handle the disconnection mm -hmm. from this rat race and a lot of people don't see it and they only see it when they reach this pinnacle of self-destruct mode or their bodies start telling them something. You know, like we all, I always use this, this quote, the body will cry what the eyes refuse to shed. Mm -hmm. And this ability to use an ancient practice like yoga, I mean, it's been around for over 3,500 years. Thousands of years. And these 
ancient practices are meant to connect the human body, the human mind into the one into the self and create calm stillness and and, uh, and comfortability within oneself. So yeah, crazy shit. I, I think it's interesting to mention, I love that quote that you just said, but also like our anxiety speaks to us. You know, it's trying to tell us something. And I'm so glad because you mentioned you like the Bo Porter episode and the term that we're using, you know, after that episode is hypervigilance. And it's not specific to the fire service industry. You know, you can find yourself in a hypervigilant sympathetic nervous system response state survival mode in any profession right yeah 100 percent. so what was the wake-up call the realization for me was two things i the one one night when i was feeling really anxious and i decided to leave my job at the restaurant for like an hour my boss was like go home for an hour like figure your shit out and then come back and work the busy shift (laughs) and i went home and my roommate at the time was like oh you're feeling crappy why don't you have a couple shots that will fix the problem. Perfect. And I remember that ha- that suggestion, and that was an eye opener for me. Where I was like, "Wait, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to do that, and I don't want that to be what I turn to when I feel like mm, this." Right. Even though there was a part of me that was like, "You know, it might work." Unfortunately, it might like. Yeah. It might work for some people. It might numb you. But that's not what I want, and that was a big wake up call for me. And I didn't have the shot, and I went back to work, and I like splashed some cold water on my face, and yeah figured it out. And then the other thing was at that time, a friend invited me to a yoga class and I had done yoga a little bit as a teenager, a little bit through college, but never consistently. And I just remember leaving the yoga class feeling more calm than I had in years. It was like a light switch flipped and I went home and I went into bed and I was like, I was living in Seattle. So it was like cold winter time. And Mm -hmm. I went to like a hot power yoga class. So I was all like, just warm and cozy afterwards. You know, the heat stays with you for the rest of the day. And I slept so well. And that was like a light bulb moment. of yeah. like, oh, there's other things I could be doing other yeah. than just like drinking and barely getting by and just being on the grind all the time. I can start taking care of myself. So that was when I slowly transitioned to just making healthier and healthier decisions. And then I decided to move to San Diego and really one of the main reasons to move to San Diego was I just needed a lifestyle change. I wanted to find a new community. I wanted to be in a place where it was like sunny and I could get outside all year round. And then I did a yoga teacher training here. Yeah. Amazing. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle. Okay. In Seattle so you're area. not from California. No. Nice. San Diego's great. Yeah. It's I mean, it's changed I love it. like everywhere in California, but so you found work in San Diego as what so you you came down here for a lifestyle change did you immediately like jump you know head first into the yoga community and like find yourself teaching or was it still just a practice that you found yourself doing kind of for recreation so i definitely threw myself into the yoga world i was still working in the restaurant industry when i first got here but i came down here to do my yoga teacher training so i signed up for the training before i moved and then when i moved i started the training like a week later and I thought, okay, this is a good way for me to do this yoga teacher training, but also to start to build community and meet other people that want some similar things. Um, But at the same time, I still was working as a server bartender down in Little Italy. Oh, it's a cool area. Yeah, it was a beautiful restaurant. I worked at Juniper and Ivy, which is like a really cool spot. Um, But 
those late nights when I started actually teaching were really difficult and I eventually left that job. Yeah. Great lesson in listening to your intuition, right? For sure. Because I feel like if you're finding a practice that grounds you, you have to do it consistently. You have to make it a part of your life, right? And each time you choose to do something other than yoga or each time you choose to not listen to your intuition, this is where anxiety comes from, you know? So like I've been super proud of John for leaning into Cambo and becoming a very talented Cambo practitioner, you know? And like I found swimming a year ago and I, I, I think about it constantly, you know, like when it comes up on my Instagram feed or my, you know, like I watch YouTube channels on how to swim better freestyle, you know? And I think the commitment that you make kind of honors that relationship you have to that practice. For sure. That's that's the biggest thing too, is like, it's a relationship with whatever practice it is because you've been, you begin to fine tune it and refine it. And that's why yoga is a practice. You keep doing it and you keep obtaining the expertise on listening to your body, understanding your body. I mean, yoga is one of my main practices. I do it almost every day. I do some variations of Qigong with Mm. yoga practices. And it's crazy because when I stick to it, I mean, I've been consistently doing it for at least a year and a half to where my body is completely transformed to where I can do things with my body in a yoga pose that I could never have done had I not started it. And to even get started in the yoga practice, I was really closed off. And like if I do it at the fire station, I was really apprehensive to do it, you know, in front of everybody because I felt a bit like, ashamed because it's not normal. Mm. And then I was just like, fuck it, dude, this stuff helps my body. And then I would hear people say, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm doing uh, eagle pose. And, you know, someone would be like, okay, well, like, let me try that. And they can't even do it. Or like, you know, it's just so funny. Like they observe something that's just so foreign, especially in, in the fire service, and they don't understand it. And once they try it, they're like, this is really challenging. And for firefighters, we want to challenge ourselves all the time. That's like one of the our biggest things. We're, we're so into competition with our own bodies. That's why we work out so much mm-hmm. because we want to be optimal in our performance on a fire or on any incident that could show up. And what yoga can do without um, you know, getting so into like the diagnostics of what it can do, it's just like it calms you down to where you can be agile. You know, longevity increases so many parts of your, your joints opens up your hips, all these aspects are so wonderful to have this optimal performance level in our line of work. So that leads into how you came across, you know, teaching yoga to firefighters. How did that come up for you? Yeah. So because yoga was such a part of my anxiety and stress relief journey, like as I started practicing regularly, like magically, I stopped having panic attacks. I stopped feeling so anxious. Like these other weird symptoms I was having disappeared. When I became a yoga teacher myself, I really wanted to teach yoga from that lens of yoga for mental health care so that it's not so important to be able to do a handstand or the full splits or any of these things. Those are great ways to challenge your body and they're awesome and fun. Um, But to teach yoga to populations that would benefit from the mental aspects of the practice. And I originally started working with veterans. I was working with an organization called Connected Warriors, Mm. and they do yoga in conjunction with the VA down in San Diego. 
And around my same time of doing that job was when I met Malcolm, my now fiance, and starting to date a firefighter, I began to see some of these parallels between, okay, like, this is what these veterans that I'm working with are going through. And then I'm seeing my boyfriend and his friends have these experience experiences at work. Um, and I start thinking like, okay, if this is working for these veterans that have severe post-traumatic stress symptoms that are in their sixties and they're seeing the benefits, why not start with guys that are in their twenties and thirties that are young and use this as a more proactive and preventative approach. And the research is actually showing now that people who have a consistent meditation practice or have that relationship with themselves, being able to self-regulate their nervous system and listen to their body and sort through their thoughts and emotions, the way that yoga teaches us to, um, are less likely to develop symptoms of post-traumatic stress, even when they experience stressful scenarios in life. So having those tools as the groundwork, Mm -hmm before shit happens, I think is so important, which is why I love teaching this at the fire Academy, because it's like getting people in there, the beginning of their careers and, and teaching them some of these tools, at least opening their minds to it a little bit, I think can be a great way to maintain health and well-being throughout your career and into retirement. You know, hopefully when you get to retirement age, you'll still be happy and healthy and oh, that's the right goal. in your mind, you know, <laughs> yeah, and able to enjoy that time it. period. Right. I think that's yeah. every firefighter's goal that I've met. Yes. And that's a very valuable point to do preventative maintenance, you know, because I had a rough transition as John did with his concussion on duty. You know, like I was going through extreme amounts of grief as I was trying to, you know, formulate plans of having practices and it was hard to manage both, you know? And so I think having these practices in place that you lean on, when shit gets hard, you know, for me, like I have a very casual relationship with yoga right now. I used to be way more consistent and committed actually in the drill tower, John, I would go at least once a week. I mean, we didn't have much free time, you know, but I was going once a week as a way of like injury proofing myself, you know, doing twists and turns to avoid, you know, hurting my back from putting a hose pack on my shoulder or whatever. And now I have this like casual relationship with it as a stress relief, where if I just get like five, 10 minutes to open my hips, I feel better. But having these practices in place for when things get hard, not as they're, you know, showing up all of a sudden surprise life's hard and you're trying to develop them, you know? So like there's for sure uh, valuable lessons in like develop this stuff when things are good, yeah. Yeah. when you're healthy. And, and I'm thinking right now, as you're talking of a fire analogy for this, right? Like it's easier to put out a fire if it, if you catch it when it just starts yeah. versus if you show up to a house and it's fully involved, you're like, okay, like we're going to try, but pretty much we're going to watch this thing burn right. versus if you catch it and it's just in one room or it's just in one place and you can put it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Same thing goes with ourselves. If we can start to have that self-awareness to notice, okay, something's a little bit off. I can start feeling it happening. I'm going to take care of that before it becomes fully involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Yoga can be like this magnifying glass of understanding your body on a very intricate level. And the thing with yoga that I was able to understand is it, it has this relationship with fascia and people don't really understand what fascia is. And if, Someone had explained it to me because I had uh, plantar fasciitis for like five years. Ever since the drill tower, it just got worse and worse and worse because I was in these boots and it couldn't heal. So 
this woman who put me in a ton of yoga poses and was teaching me about what fascia is, I was able to understand like this yoga is able to really sink, sink, sink in with the fascia. Mm. And what fascia is explained to me is that it's almost like this laffy taffy band from the bottom of your foot and it stretches all the way up to your collarbone. That's only one cycle of the fascia. And the way you can see fascia is almost like uh, in like Halloween decorations, if you see a web and you see the little spider webs, those are like repressed emotions or anything like that that's stuck on the fascia or just, you know, not being in tune to stretching it. And I had this woman stretch me out and I started to weep one time because she was like, hey, what are you feeling when you're stretching this? And I started crying. I was like feeling a lot of grief. And I was going through a lot of stuff uh, at that time with my mother. I was holding a lot of emotion and it was repressed and it was making me so tight with my fascia. So I found it so interesting that there is a psychosomatic connection with the fascia. And I saw this video, it was really fascinating how this woman is doing all these yoga poses and it was showing it's all sacred geometry, how the fascia is being stretched through each sequence of the pose or whatever this woman was doing. And it's just really, really crazy how these ancient practices have been around for so long and we see it in a different form from the, through the Western eyes instead of opening up our ancient eyes to see how this is in front of you. You're able to use it to the benefit of mind, body, and spirit to just really connect with oneself and transcend to prevent injury, to prevent mental illness, to make a better relationship with yourself and just so profound, especially after being consistent with my practice it's really changed me. So thank you for really being in this uh, field to help us in our line of work because it's very intimidating. You were telling me earlier, like you felt really nervous when you were coming in to teaching these classes and stuff because it's, it's, it is intimidating for a woman to come into a fire station every single time. I feel like I feel so bad sometimes when a girl comes into the fire station because it is robust energy when you come into a firehouse especially yeah. when they come in. six guys answer the door right how can we help you <laughs> yeah for sure i mean i'd love to talk about that a little but i want to also circle back to your experience of like stretching out and having that emotional release and i think it's something that some people almost you need to like feel it to believe it right but probably most people that are listening to this can notice that when they're going through a stressful time in life, they might hold their stress in their shoulders or their mm. hips, or they feel like when they're more stressed, they feel more tension in their bodies. And there's definitely this intricate relationship between our bodies and our minds. And that's where like the holistic aspect of something like yoga comes in is um, holistic just means seeing the body as a whole not picking it apart and saying, okay, the mind and the psychological stuff is separate from the physical stuff. No, it's very intricately connected. So when you experience grief or trauma or something stressful, it's going to manifest and show up in your physical body in some way. But the beautiful thing, like what you experienced is that when you release that physical tension, it can also release the mental tension. Oh, I felt right? like, a, like a huge weight was lifted off mm. my shoulders after I was like, holy shit, what did I just release? And it was just dormant, you know, repressed emotion. And I think that's one of our, our biggest hurdles to jump over within behavioral health, within our line of work is this repressed emotion, the un inability to be cut off from yourself and then that part of you, because that's one part of that's super essential to your being. You have an emotional body, a mental body, a spiritual body, a physical body, a mental body. It's like all these things are so connected and if one is out of sync, you're not into an alignment of who you are. When you can bring them all together, 
through a practice like yoga, which it does, it brings it into one beautiful aspect of who we are as humans. For sure. For sure. I think we're doing ourselves like such a service when we acknowledge ourselves as being a whole being with all those different layers instead of trying to split it up into separate pieces. That acknowledgement is difficult for guys that do what we do, right? Because we're not even acknowledging the fact that we're tired. We're not acknowledging the (laughs) fact that we're hungry. We're not acknowledging the fact that like, fuck, I went to paramedic school, but now I'm just driving people to the hospitals. You know, like you, you have to silence a lot of the noise to be committed to your purpose at work. And just even acknowledging that something hurts, you know, it's like, we're very resilient, you know? So I think, and this is good because this is a new trend for us to acknowledge, to honor ourselves, you know, for, for me, right. And John's the same way. Like once we started the podcast every day on the rescue is, is some sort of casual counseling, you know, some sort of like sharing about lifestyles, like what's working, what's hurting. And, um, yeah, I think a lot of guys are, are just now starting to admit that they don't make time for themselves. And so I think having a yoga practice and honoring that holistic being that you're representing is so vital. And I, you know, my thing is giving from the overflow of your own cup. And I didn't learn how to fill my cup until like a year ago, maybe two. Right. So I've just noticed that in our line of work and maybe Malcolm's the same, but like we're servants, you know, and we're providers and we serve everyone. We kind of put ourselves last. And I think that's true for a lot of professions, you know, whether, whether you're a firefighter or not, if you're involved in the rat race, you know, you're going to do a shot, you know, to calm down, (laughs) you know, you're just not making healthy choices. And so I think, Mm -hmm. you know, John and I are just, we're trying to promote exposure and awareness and then change, you know, but that acknowledgement is a very important step on this journey. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said of like, you're kind of trained to not feel Yeah. because when you're on the job, you have to be focused on the job. You can't be worrying about being hungry or being tired or whatever. There's more important things at hand. And I think that's important to acknowledge for sure. It's that like, there are certain times on the job as first responders where it's not the right time to feel all the feelings. Oh no. It's, it's the right in that moment, (laughs) in the moment you have to compartmentalize a bit. You have to push it aside. You have to focus on one thing at a time, but to allow yourself time and space outside of that environment where you give yourself permission to feel and experience and process. So, so valuable to be able to let the guard down a little bit. Um, when you're in a safe environment, maybe it's in a yoga studio or when you're getting a massage or when you're just alone in bed or taking a bath, whatever it is, like to have spaces in your life that you carve out to allow yourself to feel and process. Absolutely. And you we mentioned uh, stillness before we even started recording and a large part of yoga is that allows stillness to really step into a practice, which yoga, you know, you're sitting in a pose and you're breathing and you're finally letting everything come together and the beauty of stillness allows everything to kind of just dissipate your thoughts of whatever it may be your agendas you've created for yourself and if you are involved in a rat race or you're involved in a highly highly productive city like we work in all that noise comes into balance as you just start to breathe in about 10 minutes of sitting in one pose 
I mean, for myself, I, I do yin yoga. So my biggest thing is like, my life is so on a, like this fast track of noise, agendas. I got to do all this shit at work where I'm just running call after call after call after call. I'm sleep deprived. I'm hungry. And when I do yin yoga, it's so soft on my body and it brings that the balance of not being so rough on my body, how I usually am. And so on this like fast tracked lifestyle and it bring, I'll do five poses for 10 minutes each. That's my yoga practice. It comes into like what, 45 minutes. And the beauty of just breathing and for 10 minutes in one pose is just like so essential. And I know a lot of guys want to challenge their bodies and push themselves in like a hot yoga class, but that's just one side of yoga. You can do the opposite to where it's just stretching. You mm. know, if you're going to get hurt, you hurt your back, you're going to go to physical therapy. They're having you do yoga poses. Yeah. You're doing thread the needle to like help <laughs> your back. For sure. So it's like, they're, all you're doing is just stretching. So if you extract your mind a little bit from the understanding of what yoga may seem to you, like, oh my gosh, it's so esoteric or it's so like um, woo woo or whatever, it's not. It's just benefiting yourself and it's, it's a, a moment to yourself. You're, you're giving yourself permission to do something that's good for you. And once you start doing it over and over and over and over, it gives you this sense of uh, calmness and that practice of stillness comes through, which is really beautiful. Yeah, I think that's so important what you were talking about. Like there can be from the outside as a beginner, if you've never done yoga before, it can seem really woo woo and um, esoteric. But then in the practice, it becomes so tangible and like right. it's it's not so woo woo. It's very tangible and physical and you can feel and sense changes happening. Um, and I love that you mentioned yin yoga because that's something I talk a lot with the firefighters I work with about. It's like um, yoga, there's also this, can, we, we could go down the rabbit hole of Ayurveda, but Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. And Ayurveda um, briefly has these three different like mind-body types or these imbalances that we can have. Uh, vata, pitta, kapha. Pitta is very like fire, action, go. Very firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> and then like vata is like, airy in your head spacey and then kapha is more like grounded stable steady and oftentimes in life we're attracted to the things that we know so there's a saying in ayurveda that's like like creates like mm -hmm. and if you're in the fire world and you're used to this like fast-paced hard like hard fast tough environment styles of yoga like hot yoga or power yoga are going to be more appealing at first because it meets you where you're at. And right. that's what a lot of people are drawn to is that that's like the comfort zone of like, okay, I know how to go hard. I know how to be in a 110 degree room and keep working. I know how to sweat my ass off. And then we bring in the stillness and the stillness can be so much more difficult yet. That's what's needed to create balance because if you keep just being in the fire of it, it's just going to be more and more fire, more and more of that hypervigilance or that sympathetic nervous system response, where when you bring in yin yoga or meditation or things like yoga nidra, that starts to let the nervous system know, okay, I can go more into that parasympathetic state. I can explore what it's like to be still and to give my body permission to rest. Um, but at first there can sometimes be a lot of resistance to that because it's so different than the normal day, daily grind. Yeah. Ayurvedic medicine is uh, interesting way of how they take an approach to something and it has to do with the elements right mm. and i know for myself i carry a lot of heat in my body so i have a lot of pitta so i know that because i can just feel it in my body i'm like even when i'm 
laying next to Haley in bed. She's like, you're hot right now. You need to just like go do some breath work because you're just, just permeating heat. And I know that. And a lot of firefighters, we're the same way. When you go to the fire station, the AC's pumping. Yep. <laughs> carry so much heat. It's freezing in there. It's, yeah, we carry this heat and it's like you have to counterbalance that. And if you look into Ayurvedic medicine, there are foods you can eat that counterbalance that heat that you're permeating. Like you can have uh, some almonds that counterbalances your pitta. Uh, if you can look into like your elements of yourself and start to understand yourself at an elemental level, it's so uh, easy to understand the way the body works. Um, and you mentioned yoga nidra. Mm-hmm. So uh, years ago, I had um, was it involved with yoga nidra because I had a hard time resting when I sleep because I wasn't sleeping. I was working in one of the busiest districts in the entire United States, and so I was not sleeping. I would come home just completely de- deprived and then just anxious because I wasn't getting any sleep and angry and on edge. And then I did um, yoga nidra and I would just feel so rested. And I was even having like these out of body experiences through yoga nidra. It was so bizarre, but I, I stuck to it every day. I would be like, okay, I need to do some yoga nidra. And I would love for you to kind of describe what yoga nidra is. Yeah. So yoga nidra translates roughly as yogic sleep. And it's a form of guided meditation that is very helpful and beneficial for resting and turning on that parasympathetic nervous system response. Um, a lot of people when they practice it, have that kind of out of body experience or almost like a dreamlike state where you're in yoga nidra, you're kind of walking the line of being awake and being asleep. Ideally in yoga nidra for most people, when they first start practicing, it'll make you fall asleep almost immediately. And then over time, as you get used to it, um, one of the, I guess, I don't know if I want to call it a goal, but I guess one of the goals of yoga nidra is to eventually be able to find that dreamlike state where you're still listening and hearing what's being said without getting totally deep into sleep, but you're allowing yourself to rest. And I think it's an incredible tool for any, any first responder, military, um, and even just like anybody in life, right. you know, I know a lot of, um, like a lot of moms need it too. Like that's a totally other type of hypervigilance that mm. we could go into. I'm not a mom myself, but I've worked with many of them. So, so many of us need that permission to rest. And I think that sometimes it can be hard to go from your busy day to just sit down into a complete silent room and rest. Cause the mind is still so busy and yoga nidra gives you that guided meditation, something to follow along with so that your mind has that anchor point and then it's able to start to slowly settle from there. Yeah, but I'd love to hear so what profound. your experience was. Yeah, well, because I was so sleep deprived, I kept going into, um, like I said, these hypervigilant states where I was just on edge all the time. And I looked like shit, you know, I felt like shit. And I was like, I got to do something. And I was just doing research on how to kind of regulate the sympathetic nervous system because I was just in paramedic school, I was studying. And I was like, I got to do something because this does whatever I'm doing does, doesn't work. And so I, I found Yoga Nidra and it just was like, so it put me in like this, uh, like I was sleeping, but I was still awake in a sense. It was like so profound and it, it was very simple. It was only 20 minutes, but I felt like I had slept five hours. It was so amazing. And I think what it does is it puts you in the theta brainwave state. And in the theta brainwave state, you're able to really uh, access full rest for the body. And it's just a really easy practice. And I, all I did was go on YouTube and, and research yoga nidra. And it was so simple. 
So the guided portion of yoga nidra is controlling your breath or are you moving around your body? It, you're focusing your attention on body parts, working your way up from your toes all the way up to your head and then back down, correct? Yeah, usually it's some type of body scan, some type of checking in with your breath, yeah. your body, and systematically like going through and relaxing each body part. That alone... Sometimes there's tension and release exercises. Yeah, that alone too. is such an exercise for me because with a busy mind, you know, like I'll, I'll start doing the body scan and then I'll notice by the time I get up to my torso or something, I've thought about something else, you know? And so I have to like re, you know, recommit to going back over my body. But I think it's so funny you brought up the word goal and you were kind of apprehensive, you know, because we talk a lot about expectations and intentions. And, you know, on day three at, at work, I have a really tough time sleeping. That's on day three, I, I do a lot of breath work to just even get in a place where I'm like not tossing and turning, right? I'm not even to the point of like, I'm going to fall asleep, mm -hmm. but I'm just feeling more relaxed. And um, I think the the funny thing is, is that I always had this goal of like, you got to fall asleep, like fall asleep, get rest, <laughs> you know, before your next call. And I completely changed that. Now I just have the intention of not thinking so much, you know, just closing my eyes, just giving myself an opportunity to not be so hyperactive and busy. And by, by just having those like, you know, lower expectations, now my body's a little bit more free to relax. Yeah, and I wouldn't even call that a lower expectation. I would call that just a realistic expectation. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like everyone's mind is busy. Yeah. Even the most advanced meditation practitioners have days when their minds are busy. Yeah, And there is this, misconception about meditation and yoga nidra that is you have to not be thinking at all you're completely clearing out everything and it's just this like empty space of bliss and serenity or yeah, something right. and that's not realistic for really anyone in my opinion i think the most important part about meditation or yoga nidra is just bringing awareness to the fact that you're having thoughts observing your thoughts so often we're too busy to even acknowledge that we're having thoughts right so even if you're going from okay i'm noticing my ankle my knee now all of a sudden i'm thinking about my doctor's appointment later or my plans for the weekend or this call i just went on okay now i'm noticing my shoulder now i'm noticing my wrist my hand you're giving your mind the opportunity to wander but then you're also practicing focusing your attention on the present Yes. Awareness without judgment is such a yes. valuable skill because, you know, like we assess a lot, you know, and it's not a blind assessment. Everything is telling us something. We're looking for clues. And so I think it's so funny. We're seeing a trend. I, I know at least in the conversations I'm having related to work about shit that we're so good at at work that makes us, you know, successful. That is not good for like, you know, assessing our own bodies or assessing our own relationships. And so I think what we're discovering, at least I'll just speak for me personally, but just doing this assessment of having, you know, maturity and the responsibility of knowing how to turn it off, you know, knowing how to get into a parasympathetic state, knowing how to find that element that's going to chill you out. Like it took me fuck, a long time to discover that water was my medicine. You know, I was running hot for a long time and I was very attracted to hot yoga and things that would break me. I mean, I remember the, the first time Leah took me to a yin yoga class, I was like, we're paying to take a nap. Right <laughs> <now."> <laughs> <laughs> and like one of the poses was like, hug yourself. 
you know, but I always try to lean into experiences like that. And it was amazing, you know, lying on your mat and looking at your partner and smiling as you both like chill the fuck out. It's, <laughs> it's an incredible form of intimacy. Yeah. And now we're kind of hooked on it. She, you know, she's been great to help me like slow down and rest. And I think it's so important to find that opposite or that balance to your life. Cause like you said, what did you say? Like attracts like. Yeah. Like creates like. Yeah. And it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to be drawn towards the things that we've always done. But I think the acknowledgement of like, okay, the shit's not working anymore. It's one big. of the, one of the patterns I see for myself and everyone in our line of work, cause we have this ability to like punish ourselves. Oh, big time. With a hard workout or doing something that's challenging because we always want to reach this optimal human being, right? Yeah. And that's the goal is to reach this optimal human being because we want to be able to perform at an optimal level all yeah. the time yeah. because we don't want to be criticized and we don't want to be shamed. We don't want to sit in that frequency. I, find, I found it with myself for such a long time. I would just punish myself like, I'm going to go for a long, long run or I'm going to do a hard, hard workout. Yeah. And yoga taught me how to not do that to myself and really just sit with myself and, and balance everything because it's all about the balance and yeah. bringing the centeredness of the self. And I know yoga is just finding the center. And when you find the center, then you're able to be content with who you are and how you feel in that moment alone. And if you think about these, yoga is an ancient technology. It's an ancient intelligence that's been, I don't know how they figured it out, you know, but they did. And it's just, it's works. That's why it's been used for such a long time. And just by seeing like an asana or the pose of like this woman doing all these poses, it's sacred geometry. It's doing something that has like this ancient knowledge that we feel so disconnected with because it seems so abstract or just foreign to us. And then we come and bring it to the States and we market it into, hey, let's do this core power workout, you know, and just push our bodies to the limit. And it kind of extracts a bit of like the essence of yoga and how it is so good to bring the balance and harmony to oneself, especially if we are all involved in this rat race. And I feel like we're the one of the only countries who are just pushing the rat race so hard all the time. And the medicine is to balance that out with, you know, the center of self. And it's, it's taken me a long time to figure it out. And only through my own uh, just you know, not being content with, with who I am or just how I felt, you know, after a shift or after a, a gnarly call or after just um, studying all the time or being in a vigorous uh, fire academy like our, our department offers to us, it's hard on our bodies. And on top of that, it's hard on our mental stuff. You got to extract everything in your personal life and just focus on that. And that's really challenging for a lot of people. Everything on the line, you mean your relationships go on hold, everything goes on hold and it's all focused on you obtaining your optimal ability to perform. So really crazy how yoga is just so easy and so beautiful. And I'm happy you're able to, you know, teach these guys at the fire Academy. That's huge. Yeah. I want to hear, are they resistant to it? I mean, they probably, like you said, they're in love with the opportunity to do whatever the fuck they want for a minute. For sure. But are they, what do they, when they come up to you afterwards, do they tell you that they feel I don't know, calmer or just physically a little bit more restored? Yeah. So as far as their initial judgment of it, it's mixed. Like sometimes I go in and 
you know, at the academy, it's part of their academy. So they are required to be there for yeah. it. Um, That's a great customer which for is, you. <laughs> <laughs> the captive customer. Exactly. Um, so there's definitely some that are resistant or, you know, there's some people who are very cautious about it. They don't know what it is. They They wonder if it will conflict with their religion or they are very hesitant to go mm. into anything that is like spirit spiritual interesting means. um but that's rare yeah. to be honest at the academy it's usually a group of 50, around 35 to 50 people and there might be a couple people that i can see i kind of want to hang by the back and just they're not into it yeah but that's okay and i always tell them like i'm here to teach you yoga i ask that you open your minds and give it a try see how it feels in your body but yoga is not necessarily for everyone. I think everyone can benefit from some aspect of the practice, but like doing a consistent yoga or meditation practice might not be for everyone. And I like that we already talked about some other tools. Sorry, we talked about like swimming or um, combo or like just going on a walk or yeah. exercising or spending time in nature, like having a hobby. There's so many other things you can do to help ground and regulate your nervous system. Yoga is just one of the tools. So I always right. preface my work at the Fire Academy with that of like, hey, I'm here to give you a tool. I hope you'll take something away from this. And if not, the best tool is the one that actually is going to work for you and the one that you want to do. So take it as you go. But as far as their feedback, like I've had some really beautiful feedback, some really like kind of profound experiences. And the one that's always stuck with me is from when I first started working at the Academy and I taught a class and at the end of the class, one of the firefighters kind of hung back for a while and waited for everyone to kind of uh, waited for everyone else to leave and then came up and talked to me. And he was like, you know, at the end of class, I started tearing up and I kind of was like crying a little bit. He's like, what was that? Like, why did that, why did that happen? He's like, I was just thinking about how much I miss my wife and my kids Aww. and I just can't wait to be done with this academy and be with them again. And I was like, damn, I was like, wow. And he was like, he asked me, he's like, how can I feel like that again? And I could tell that it was one of those things where he hadn't ever given himself the time and permission to slow down enough to acknowledge those feelings. Yeah. And the class allowed him to do that. And then he had this curiosity of like, oh, like, can I feel like that again? Will, will I feel like that again? Where can I find that? And I thought that was so beautiful. And, you know, every yoga class is going to have a, different effect on every person he had that experience there might have been someone else in that exact same class that mm. walked away feeling like nothing happened and that's yeah. okay that's okay um but when things like that happen that's when i'm like okay this is the work i really want to be doing is i feel like more so than the yoga it's about holding space and giving people permission to sense and feel into their bodies and minds that's it's awesome so yeah so what's the difference between a yoga instructor and a yoga therapist so yoga therapy requires a lot more training. Um, it's a thousand hour training. Most yoga teachers, the kind of baseline is a 200 hour training is usually like what people start with, then either like a 300 or 500 hour level training. Um, and then from there, yoga therapy is like an additional 800 to a thousand hours of training. But we go a lot more into kind of the way I describe yoga therapy from the Western medicine world, if that's what you're familiar with, is that yoga therapy kind of blends elements of physical therapy with some like some talk therapy and yoga. So in a session, I'll sit with somebody 
talk with them, hear about their day, what they're going through. I'm not a therapist. I like to preface that I'm not like a psychologist, but I think on a human to human level, there's something really beautiful about just sitting and sharing and talking. And then based on what's going on in their life, whether it's physical or mental, the yoga therapist can provide tools or ideas of things to try. So it could be anything from yoga poses or asana um, to styles of breath work or pranayama, um, meditation practices, yoga nidra, anything like that. And then in the session, we usually do you know a little bit of talking and checking in at the beginning, and then we go into a practice and actually do it together. So maybe it's moving their body and relieving tension or working on mobility, or for other people, it's about stress relief and anxiety relief and scanning through their body and checking in with themselves. That sounds incredible. <laughs> Cause I've, you know, I've tried different forms of therapy, you know, and like I've been going back recently, right? Cause I'm on like a three year journey and um, it's important to remember what it felt like to, to first reach out and get a therapist, you know? And the funny thing about therapy is sometimes you're having great weeks where you really just don't want to sit down and dig up shit, you know? And I found that to be like a hurdle I always had to get over with therapy is I didn't often have like a therapy appointment scheduled for the time that I was most upset. Sometimes I would be feeling great in the middle of a four day and I'd be like, fuck, I got to sit down for an hour and like open up to this dude. And you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to dive in right now. So the opportunity to not just stare at someone on a zoom call or you know sit across from someone in a room but actually to like work with someone in that capacity of mind and body you know because i i keep it really basic with guys like if i notice that they're feeling anxious i I say you got to get in your body you got to give your mind a break right now get get away from those thoughts go do 20 push-ups anything you can do whether it's changing your posture or stretching or just moving that's why i love that john has this qigong practice because you got to move. You got to get back in your body. But to do that with a practitioner sounds like a really special experience. For sure. Yeah. And there's a really awesome book called The Body Keeps the Score. Have either of you read it? I've heard of it. Okay. Highly recommend it. Okay. Um, But the man who wrote it, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he's done a ton of research on trauma. And the book covers all different types of treatment modalities for trauma. Um, you know, everything from pharmaceuticals to talk therapy, to yoga, whatever he goes into examples of everything, but he was one of the first doctors to do a neuroimaging study on yoga for PTSD. And they found that yoga was more beneficial than any other therapy that they had studied on a group of highly traumatized individuals, Wow! the, the wording he used. And what they found was that when we talk about the trauma that we experience, our prefrontal cortex goes offline. Hmm. And yoga gives us a space where we can kind of go back to the memories without fully reliving them, which I think can be really healing for some people. And I'm a huge fan of traditional therapy too. Don't get me wrong. Like I have a therapist. I'm a big fan of talking about your feelings and getting things out there. Uh, I think that's very important. But I think bringing in the physical aspect and the body aspect of it too, where you're sitting with yourself, you're moving, you're sensing, you're feeling, um, can be so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's taken me a long time to learn how to get out of my head and into my heart, into my body. And for me, breath work has been the bridge. 
That's where I notice if my mind is racing or if I'm agitated. The other day I was off for one day and I came home grumpy. You know, I'm just kind of sick of people right now. I, I went scuba diving last weekend, which was amazing. But then it sort of makes me like when I'm out of the water, I'm wishing I was in it. So now I'm in a place of lacking and I'm, you know, victimhood and all this shit, right? But the, the nice thing is now at this place in my life, I can recognize it. You know, I can say, dude, you're full on ego right now. All of these nasty thoughts are fear-based. Can you do some breath work? Can you just take a break from this? You've already acknowledged that this is the space that you're in. If you don't want to stay in this space because it is a choice, you can choose now to do something for yourself which is just to take a break from these racing thoughts and get in your body. And I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to complete that transition until I found breath work. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. A couple of things are coming to me. One is that like breath work can be such an emotional release. I, my fiance likes to do Wim Hof and like some like cold showers and ice baths yeah. when he gets off duty, sometimes just like throughout the week. And the last time I joined him to do it, we started doing the breathing and within the first 15 seconds, I just started bawling. Really? And I was like, whoa, like where? Like, I thought I was processing all that, you know, like I have plenty of tools, but it has a really great way of digging stuff up and giving you that space to notice something that maybe you didn't even know was there. So I know it's there right now. I have this emotional (laughs) block. Like I haven't cried in months and I can Mm. feel it. And John actually helped me, he served me hoppe, and we discussed what this feeling was. Because on one hand, I've never been happier in my life. And on the other hand, I have some like disappointment right now and some grief. And John helped me realize that it, it could just be a void space. you know, Because I've never been happier, I don't exactly know what I'm feeling. And I just want to stress that to all of our listeners, awareness without judgment. Yeah. you know, Because there's a lot of times, dude, I just worked with someone and we had a great shift together. But he was trying to label all of these feelings, all of these emotions. And it, it's cool to, to categorize for sure and catalog. And that's why I journal. But don't have such an emphasis on diagnosing you know you can just be aware of how you're feeling but i am very aware of an emotional block right now and i am i'm trying to figure out a way to release it um so maybe i just need to look up a different breath work exercise because a lot of the breathing i do is to put me to sleep is to get into that parasympathetic but i i tried wim hof and i was feeling extremely anxious like like i was like hyperventilating like i was feeling like suffocated so there is yeah there and that's what i need to do i need to return just like we kind of are attracted to things we know i've gotten very comfortable with the style of breathing that i do to calm myself down but this is this has inspired me to look up some different breathing techniques in order to like push myself a little bit or get that release. For sure, I mean every style of breath work is going to have a different result. Yes. So there are styles of breath work that you're using that you should keep using that help you sleep or help you calm down. But then maybe yeah, I get curious about what styles of breath work are out there that might open you up a little bit more or. Um, allow you to like I don't know invigorate you or yeah. help you tap into that anxiety or stress in a different way yeah because I never do breath work in the morning I just have like uh. three iced coffees <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude breath work is but there's a lot of uh, miseducation on breath work and how to breathe we've really lost touch of the anatomy of how you're supposed to breathe 
And even just to get a guy on the mat to do child's pose for 10 minutes and breathe with the belly. So your belly is the most important aspect of how you breathe because you're not supposed to breathe with your chest. So when you breathe with the belly and you are able to breathe back in, it actually exercises the diaphragm in such a way we were able to really get that full inhale and exhale. And the beautiful part of this sequence is that when you're able to to practice it over and over, people will think you're supposed to always do ab work all the time and that's how you get beautiful abs. When you do breath work with the belly and you bring it back in all the time, you actually will shrink your, your, uh, your waist by doing a proper breathing exercise. And you, like, like you mentioned, pranayama, right? It's like there's so many different styles of breathing. Like I do alternate nostril breathing to exercise the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. And it puts me in a straight one. meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll be just completely plugged in. And I'm like, cool, I love this this way of exercising that. And it really just kind of moves your brain back and forth. And you're just alternating brain waves. And to bring, bring, even bringing up pranayama. So we, these words, they're all Sanskrit words, right? And it's just the way uh, yoga has been taught. And Sanskrit is an ancient language. It's also been referred to as a vibrational language. And it's been known to be the mother of all languages. A lot of all the all languages we speak now comes from Sanskrit, which is really powerful. And for some reason, it's now becoming a dying language. And even like the power of some of these technologies, like I know there's like a, a, a it's called the Himalayan Sound Academy, and they study Sanskrit and they study how it can affect the human body. And like this person did this mantra and he was sweating bullets by just doing a Sanskrit sequence because it, it vibrates within your entire um, system while you're doing breath work. And it's crazy how you're like, you're purging all these things that don't serve you anymore. You're weeping, you're expressing yourself in such a, a new way because these things are meant to release things that don't serve you anymore. It's like you're shedding pieces of yourself through these practices they're able to transform yourself and the new self the new part of you in just minutes and that's why it's so beautiful to just get a bit of understanding of how some of these practices are so important especially in our line of work like when i'm at work and i do some breath work between calls or even if i do some ohms i'll do three ohms after a serious call and i feel so completely chilled out yeah and an ohm is just like uh, the way they have to express what an ohm is. It's the um, the sound of the eternal universe in expression, and it's just basically the metaphysics of consciousness being clear and being centered. And it seems so stupid, right? You hear someone ohm. When I first started oh, I love doing it. yoga, I'm like hearing <laughs> ohms. I'm like, Dude, I what hear are they doing? And man? I want to ohm with yeah. them. And if you've ever been in a room when everyone's ohming <laughs> at so the same beautiful. time, it is spectacular yeah i mean you're just dude like, we should start doing that at lineup <laughs> i uh, at the kitchen table all the firefighters um, but it uh is it clears the field whatever it's doing i have no idea exactly what it's doing i just know that it's resonating within your system it's bringing back up the sense of contentment and it just really brings in this harmonial sound of being able to just clear and move forward and that's kind of like what the biggest thing about behavioral health is, is being able to move forward, leave the past behind you. Don't sweep it under the rug, but put it in a bit of a file and know that it's there and being able to step into your power, into that warrior spirit and being able to transcend yourself through these practices and get a better understanding so we don't judge it so much and see that it's really beneficial. I mean, with like doing 
uh, mantras. I mean, I was so skeptical about chanting mantras until I started doing it. And when I started to do them every day, I gained a relationship with certain mantras and it was actually super beneficial to where I felt calm, clear, and I could start my day in, in such a beautiful way and also work on my own personal shit. Like one of my mantras is to get past obstructions of self. Mm -hmm. And that mantra I did, I just made myself do it for 30 days straight. And when I did it for 30 days straight, I was able to have some realizations just through a mantra. I didn't even understand the Sanskrit words I was saying, but it helped me work through something on a level that I had no, like, uh, able to, like, the ability to just understand what I was doing. But it was like this weird relationship with it. So now I love mantras. And, you know, that's just like a different, um, I guess, branch off yoga, but um, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's all connected. I've, it's all connected. I've yeah. gone to this evolutional state with the, the practice and able to really understand, like, even like my life force. Like, I did Kundalini yoga with Haley, and I, my body was like buzzing with energy because I was feeling my own frequency for once. And it was just permeating like this channel of energy through my system. And like, I mean, that, that's a whole another aspect of yoga too, but there's so many different styles you could access. And when you find your best yoga practice, you know, just doing two or three poses, you're like, I can actually get into this, you know, and then actually you begin to transform into more advanced practices. You're able to better understand yourself through the power of yoga. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many good things that you just said. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, but I really want to acknowledge that you used some of the Sanskrit words and mentioned what Sanskrit is. I think it's important to acknowledge that yoga is a practice that comes from India and Sanskrit is the ancient language that was used in that tradition. And these practices have been around for thousands and thousands of years. They're not, you know, they're not ours here in the West. They are these like ancient tools. And I want to just take a second to acknowledge that because I think it's important to yes, make this approachable and easy to understand for Westerners, but also to not forget the roots of where it comes from. And totally. that these people thousands of years ago were, you know, sitting in mountaintops for days on end or months on end and, and having these realizations that allow us to have the teachings that we have today. Well, I saw Sanskrit. There was this neurologist who put all these probes on someone's head. And while they were doing Sanskrit, it had a mathematical sequence to it. So when they say it's a vibrational language, it had this sequencing to where this person was able to, they did like uh, infrared light and like imaging on this person's system. And just by doing a, a, a series of Sanskrit words, they were able to calm their entire system down because it went down all the way to the bottom of their spinal cord and went all the way back up. And this, this guy just was watching the imaging and he's like, what the hell is this? And so they're seeing that like, even if someone starts to learn Sanskrit, their brain will actually begin to learn math easier and learn science better. So like, mm -hmm. some schools will teach Sanskrit to children just for the fact that it alters the brain and being able to perceive information on a mathematical level. So it's bizarre, I but love really that wonderful. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. I'm gonna give a shout out to my friend Gabby who's doing a PhD program in mathematics and she's researching some of the cross between yoga nidra and mathematics and if kids do something like yoga nidra or meditation before the math class how that can affect them crazy so, yeah so i know someone who's actually researching this and i think it's amazing <laughs> speaking of kids 
Did you just teach yoga to some kids? I did. How old were they? Um, Yesterday, I taught to eighth graders. Okay, so I'm talking about the resistance (laughs) among firefighters. I taught English. I mean, I was a middle schooler at a time, and I was a complete asshole. And I taught English in Taiwan, kindergarten to university. And middle schoolers are tough all over the world. So I can only imagine, (laughs) was there a lot of resistance among eighth graders? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some, uh, definitely some skepticism, I would say. I've taught to kids as young as five. Sick. And I've taught to adults as old as late 80s. Yeah. So I've seen it all. But definitely the teenager age range, they're a little too cool for school. You know, some of them want to like sit back and you know not participate i know but then some of them do apathetic at that age it just it is what it is so going in there not taking it personally if some of them aren't into (laughs) it and then there's always going to be like more more than um the ones that are not into it there's people that are they're loving it yeah and i've even had kids as little as like i remember a little five-year-old i used to teach with at the rock climbing gym because i also used to coach rock climbing oh cool um and he would come in and he would lay out his mat and sit on his mat and get into cross-legged position with, you know, his thumbs on his pointer fingers and sit and be like, I'm here for meditation. <laughs> Just like immediately like I come in as kid. a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but we'll see if he maintains that as he ages. It's know? tough. Like I said, I don't, I don't have as much of a practice with yoga right now. I'm just like so obsessed with the water, but you got to have something, have something yeah. you enjoy. And that's what I explain to people that are, they're not into exercise. I'm like, dude, you can find something, whether it's walking around the neighborhood or doing the row machine or doing yoga, you know, there's something for everyone. And I think it's really important to make carve out space for yourself. Um, and John, you've been an inspiration to me to do that. You start, he starts his shift in stillness and, you know, I kind of thrive on the energy of like high paced and like, I come in kind of talking shit and I have to (laughs) remind myself to, to calm down. But that's been one of the most important lessons I've learned as I mature is not to redline my engine constantly. You have to find space to idle. And, um, you know, when Leah and I suffered our first pregnancy loss, we had a we had a second bedroom that was no longer going to be a nursery. But I would go into that space with the intention of connecting with him and holding him and crying. And I think that's, you know, like we're first responders. We're drawn to stoicism. And, you know, it's funny you brought up sometimes you can't feel everything you're trying to feel in that moment. And I remember when I was young on the job, I, I quit drinking for a couple weeks and I was feeling a lot and it was getting in the way of me doing my job, you know? And so I think if you want to stick to being stoic at work, that's great, but carve out some space for yourself in the privacy of your home or in the privacy of nature or in the stillness of your, your mind, body, and soul to just feel, you know, because this this twenty four seven numbness, this hyper vigilance, resilience, and just uh, a determination to not stop and feel, you know, it just it's not sustainable. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes even I've noticed recently feeling a little resistance even to the word resilience. Yeah. Because sometimes it makes me feel like, oh, to be resilient, I need to just be able to like constantly be battered. And that's mm. what makes me resilient is just being like hardened yeah. and tough. Right. But I think that there is so much strength in vulnerability and 
feeling yeah. and that that's part of that resiliency conversation to not not think that to be resilient you have to just be able to take all the shit of the world but to be resilient is also about allowing yourself space to feel Does that yeah make sense? absolutely yeah. no for sure i mean john and i talk about the true warrior spirit and it's not denying your emotions it's being very familiar with them and knowing how to regulate them as a mature male with responsibility and you know um i I noticed recently when I caught myself in ego, that felt like resilience. That felt like me sticking up for myself and saying, hey, dude, I hear you, but I don't need a security guard right now. I don't need someone projecting down the road and all this fear, like take a time out, you know, and that felt like setting a boundary to to even myself or parts of myself um, that I just wasn't. I didn't need them right then and there. So you're absolutely right. I mean, resilience traditionally is being able to take shit, you know, and not quit. And I think there's a, there's a profound alternative to resilience. That's just being comfortable with your emotions, being comfortable in that stillness and sticking up for yourself. I think that's a, that's a true sign of someone who prioritizes self-love and sets boundaries. And that's, that's a really special form of resilience. Cause like I've just noticed in our line of work, guys take on a lot. You know what I'm saying? They work overtime, they're, you know, call after call. And then when they get home, it's their turn to be a parent. And you know, if, if you're not carving out space for yourself, if you're not filling your own cup, you cannot continue to serve at least unconditionally for me, I'll switch over to conditional and then resentment builds and it gets out of control. Yeah, maybe that's a good segue into talking a little bit about like work-life balance and yeah, relationships. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, almost. So sorry about that. The mic got cut out. It's all about balance, right? And so when you're stepping into a yoga pose and you're working on balance, whenever I'm doing something that's challenging in a yoga pose, I'm out of balance, which I normally can do that pose normally. I'm like, okay, why am I out of balance with my body? I'm out of balance with something else going on in my life. And it's a better assessment with myself to see you know, where are the scales shifting. And if the scales, if I'm not in the center, then where else is my energy going? Or where else is my mind going? Or what am I feeling right now? It's a great assessment to see where you're at. Because there are some days you can do yoga and you feel like you're on it. You're on top of every single pose and you're in alignment. And there's some days... You do yoga and you're like, what is going on? I don't know what the hell. I can't do this pose. And like, you're frustrated. And it's, for me, it brings a great assessment to my body obviously is not in sync. So where am I at? And the assessment tool with that is just not analyzing, but just feeling what it is. Because it'll come to you whether you like it or not. It's going to uh, present itself. And it's like uh, you're lifting the veil upon where your body is feeling something or where the imbalance is. And when the scales shift on you and you've put it off for such a long time, that's when turmoil comes. That's when behavioral health starts putting you to a deep, dark hole. And the whole purpose of this, our purpose on this podcast is preemptive. We're, we're taking steps to not have the guy call his, his friend and he's like, hey man, I can't do it anymore. Or, hey, I'm having some serious depression. Let me reach out to the, the department of psychologists. We don't want that anymore. We don't want to have, have it get to that point. So that's why we have these practices. It's just an option 
that you're able to do, but yoga is a great option. And it really brings into uh, that assessment of the self to see where you're at. And I think even Bo probably brought up, you know, set it, set yourself a number. Where are you at? Are you at a 10 or are you at a one, you know, yeah. or at a five? And the best way to do something is just to, to have the awareness of the self. And the whole point of yoga is to bring centeredness and awareness to oneself. And to climb that ladder of, of yoga, you're able to find that bliss of samadhi, what the, the yogis always reach to obtain. It's the oneness of the self or the nirvana. And you're able to reach that point. And if you stick to it, you can reach it. It's just going to take some time. And then once you reach a roadblock or a blockage or whatever you're going through, you're reaching another chapter in your life. You're able to open up, finish it, put it aside, move forward. And it's that's what life's all about, you know. And then when you reach those hard points and a deeper layer of something you're dealing with, now you're able to open it up and really work through it. And that's what the beauty of behavioral health is. It's it's a path of understanding yourself with these these layers of what we're being repressing our entire life. And yoga can purge something out like an emotion by just doing a pigeon pose. <laughs> you're just opening <laughs> up your hips or something sitting there mm-hmm. that it, you know, you're repressing and you're not being giving yourself the opportunity to feel or work through. And, you know, you talk about Trevor, like this guy's like analyzing everything. We're always in this analytical mind of trying to see and put a label on something. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. You know, you just be a, a general uh, calm assessment of something and just to see it and to feel it and then you can just let it go yeah or communicate it for sure okay so this has been the most important development i think in myself is being able to communicate what i'm going through so historically if i was going home at a five or above right i'd be like oh fuck you know like i I have all these expectations for my four day i'm really excited to see leah but i'm stressed so what am I going to do? I'm going to try and hide it. And what's <laughs> hilarious is, you know, a female intuition is just the most sophisticated radar I have ever <laughs> experienced in my life. Can't hide anything. No, no. So why even try, right? But I was determined to not kind of, you know, lose face and show her that I was returning home stressed, you know? So I put all these... Um, just unrealistic expectations on myself. So the advice that I have is learn how to tell your partner your number, right? So don't don't freak out if your number's high. Don't don't make it your mission to lower it immediately because sometimes that's not achievable on your short commute, but just communicate to your partner what your number's at. And that has been life-changing for for me and my relationship is just learning how to tell her, "Hey, I'm having a rough day and not hiding it. Yeah. Oh, one second. I took a sip of my water. <clears throat> Salud. Oh, I need a cough. Okay. Um, yeah. Can you repeat that last part again? <laughs> so, Sorry, my voice is like. You're okay. <clears throat> so just as far as like, I think I was always determined to hide anything that was less than great. You know, and that I was, I'm dramatic. You know, if I was even having a bad day, I'd be like, oh, fuck, you know, and I'm allowed to have bad days. I'm allowed to be in bad moods. And so is she. And I think the, the, the breakthrough that we had in our relationship was being able to communicate our numbers to each other. And that way there isn't this expectation of, okay, if my partner's at a four and I'm at a fucking eight, then, you know, like 
there's there's not expectation for us to be perfect, right? Because uh, I'm at an eight, you know, and then she knows I need some time to come down. So I think, you know, it, I always made the mistake of starting an argument and then taking space and then dropping my number down. And now in order to avoid the argument, I just tell her what my number is. Yeah. So is that something that you communicate to each other, like when you're on your way home or something? Not on my way home. No, because okay. a lot of times, um, you know, we get we get relief at 6 a.m. So I don't want to wake her up. Yeah. Um, but it and it's something that I'm still learning. Do I need to say it? Right. But I think if my number's over five, then I communicate it. So I don't I don't make a big deal out of something small that I think will go away on its own after I shower, or eat breakfast, or hang out for a minute. But if I'm truly processing something, I want to let my best friend in on it. You yeah. should just get a whiteboard and put Leah and Trevor and put the number you're at each day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too determined to be romantic to make it like that. But yeah, I mean, however, you bring up a great point. Whatever works for your relationship, honestly, however you need um, to communicate yourself clearly, do it. And you know, what's funny is I, I am... I like to think that I'm romantic, but you know what's funny is I have had a like a meeting with Leah, like where like I write down on a piece of paper, you know, because for the longest time I would get defensive and I found that having a pen in my hand and, and being a scribe would allow me to just actively listen without trying to interject. Mm -hmm. So there are methods of making communication a little bit more structured that will allow you to sort of get on the same page. It doesn't have to be like read each other's minds, you know, and that's a mistake a lot of couples make after they've been together for years is they're like, we should be able to read each other's minds. No, fuck no. that. You should be able to communicate. That's yeah. what you should be able to do after five years. For sure. I mean, anytime that you think you're reading someone's mind, you're really just making an assumption. Right, right. And what does assuming mean again? Making an ass of you and me. <laughs> Hell yeah. The next time me and Haley get in an argument, I'm going downstairs. I'm writing a 10 on the whiteboard. Yeah. Hey, Hell yeah. You, hey, where are you going? Haley, get down I'm here. A, I'm at a 10. <laughs> I need you to see something. She's like, I already knew. Yeah. I love that you mentioned like kind of having a pen and paper with you while you're listening. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I think that's like such a great tool to use to remind yourself to slow down. Yeah. I know in my relationship, I actually, I kind of tend to be like the one that wants to like fix things and like, I'm very like, okay, I'm going to, I'm problem solving oriented. And so which fire department do you work for? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely like in that masculine energy in my mind yeah. a lot. Um, and my partner is much, he's more soft-spoken than I am hmm. and it takes him a little longer to communicate probably because he's, he's been a firefighter since he was like 17 years old. He was like, a oh, he's only been a firefighter and he was a volunteer when he was young. Um, and so he is more stoic and more like has to process his thoughts a little for a little while before he's ready to share them where my thoughts are processing at a hundred miles an hour and I have a lot to say and I can just like yeah, go yeah. for it. Guilty. Um, so what we learned and we've done a little couples counseling um, is it's so helpful for me to really slow down and mirror to him what he said and for mm. him to do the same for me and to yeah. just start with that. Absolutely. And I think I had never thought about using a pen and paper, but I think that's a great way to like note some things that you're thinking about. So they're on the page. You won't forget to talk about them later, but that you're not spending the whole conversation planning what you're going to say next. Exactly. Right. This is her time to speak. Yeah. And I'm listening. 
and yeah, it shows full you know, active listening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> little tricks, you know, that one came yeah. to me. I mean, it was like a full on meeting, but we, I started with, okay, let's write down our happiest memories. We were having the same fight over and over again. So we had to try something different. So I said, let's write down our happiest memories and then let's get into our love languages, but not just assume that I know what she's talking about. Like if, if acts of service, I want to know, I want to know, or if I say physical touch, I want her to know, what does that mean? What does that look like? So we got very specific and we had a breakthrough, you know? And I, th I found like, look, I like to argue. I sometimes say mean shit and I was so sick of doing harm. So by me holding that pen, it just reminded me, okay, this is not my time to defend myself. This is my time to honor my partner and make sure she feels validated and seen and heard. Yeah, I think probably everyone that's listening to this can take something hard, away from that. It's, it's hard, hard to do. Yeah, it's hard to do. It's like a Damn. skill that you have to learn and hone in over time. It doesn't happen overnight. Right? We can have the intention of like, I'm going to be a really great listener and give my partner space to be heard and then it's very easy to jump back into that uh, pattern of yeah. just speaking i know that from my experience i grew up in a family where there was a lot of yelling and a lot of really like fast hard conversations yeah and that can sometimes be my initial response when i'm upset or angry um and it is like a muscle you have to keep training it to to slow down Relationships are so challenging. That's what we even talked about before. Like you have these monks who are cheating. They're in the <laughs> Himalayas and they're just meditating for 10 hours a day, but they're not engaged into this world we live in that has so many challenges and relationships are the hardest without a doubt because there's two people involved, not yourself and you're growing together. Yeah. It's a, a unit. And to be in this communicative state with each other and being able to listen, being able to respond, and to extract your own self sometimes and get yourself out of your head and into your heart to feeling through whatever it may be, it's just, it's the biggest challenge without a doubt. And it, it creates uh, a lot of maturity once you are able to be in a relationship with someone where you're in a conscious relationship, being able to be receptive to each other and connect and finding love languages. I mean, for myself, love languages are, was something that came up for me. I didn't even know what mine was and I had to figure it out. And knowing what someone else's love language is along with yours is important to just kind of see what works, you know, and what, how someone is expressive and how someone receives something because we're always, we talked about how everyone's always, we're always giving, but for some reason we, we can't receive and that's just the way it works. It works in, in unison with giving and receiving. And when you're going to work with receiving, sometimes you're like, why can't I receive? And then it puts you in this other analytical state of like, maybe back to your childhood, you know, of like how you're raised. And it can really uh, stir up some, um, some core wounds or some repressed emotion. And yeah. where these roadblocks really open up a ton of stuff that you're able to really see yourself and see your partner and find that true love, which is about giving yourself and also receiving yourself and receiving your partner. And it's just so, it's always uh, teaching me something without a doubt. And I'm, I'm just constantly not analyzing it, but working through the emotion of, of how that is. And like emotion is, uh, 
someone had told me it's energy in motion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's it's so powerful beyond the thinking mind. And when we get out of our thinking minds and into our hearts and able to access that part of our being and finding the power of the heart, you find the power of true love and relationship. So it's constantly expediting and being able to give me the insights on how to really treat people, you know, even outside in my line of work, you know, be more compassionate. And you put a kid involved too. I mean, for myself, I have a Haley has an eight year old, you know, and we're working at working with her, you know, and, and seeing how she needs to be heard, you know, and not making her feel like she's in a prison, you know, she has choices to make. Um, so making her feel like she's open, she's a part of us. It's a very challenging dynamic to just involve a household, you know, cause we're not going to put our own stuff onto a child either in our relationships. And like when we raise our voices and we're arguing, we have to tell, Hey, we tell Paisley, Hey, we're not arguing. We love each other and being open with that concept so she can see and she's not traumatized or um, internalizing something's wrong. You know, we're really open about communicative issues. It's a challenge. I mean, for me, it's, I mean, I jumped into a relationship where I have to take care of this little girl, you know, and and she sees me as this father figure and it's really beautiful. And it's just a a jump start straight into a relationship that's dynamic as, as uh, I don't know. It's crazy. You've done it with a lot of grace. You know? It's so It's been fun to witness you know, as your friend, yeah. you know, because it is, it is dynamic for sure. But dude, I want to, you know, compliment you guys on your ability to communicate all that with her, right? Because that just took me back to being a kid and not knowing what the fuck was going on, you yeah. know, <laughs> just like right. trying to make sense of a lot of shit that didn't, you know, and just, just explaining to someone, you know, you talk about your relationship impacting who you are at work dude i've noticed recently i've really tried to go out of my way to explain to people exactly what we're doing right because a lot of times we just march through an open door (laughs) and we treat people like they're there for a quick oil change you know and we're lifting up the hood and we're fucking putting stickers on and just this this and this and it's like a fucking tornado you know and obviously some calls are critical and you got to be a little bit more urgent but a lot of calls you know it it definitely uh, benefits everyone in the room to just kind of communicate what the hell is going on. Yeah. And even like talking to someone, like when I, we talked to, to Paisley, we don't treat her like a child. We treat her like an adult Yeah, and we don't make it demeaning, you know, by, by dumbing things down. We just give her the truth and explain it on a, on a simple level, but in a way to, for her to understand, obviously, but treat her like an adult. And then she, I mean, she's really mature for her age, but same thing with patients. Like you explain things not to be like, Hey, this is what we're doing here. It's like, Hey, we're, we're going to do this and, and us just be prepared that we have to, you know, put a 12 lead on your chest. You know what I mean? That's instead of just going and putting a bunch of patches on your chest and doing a, a, like a 12 EDKG on someone, you know, we do that all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it is important to explain because it's, it's a lot when you got like six dudes coming in your house or six men and women coming into your house. And like, it's there, it's very <laughs> intimidating without a doubt and coming into your home and they're trusting you to come into your home. Dude, it's amazing how many people are comfortable with six strangers just walking in the front door. They have so much trust in yeah. you. So much. so much trust in you. I would never call 911. I don't want six pairs of dirty <laughs> boots walking in my home, you know? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, <laughs> come right in. <laughs> 
So your man, he works for Cal Fire. Yeah. So I I apologize. I am I never had experience as a wildland firefighter. So I don't know much about their schedule. I don't know how long he's gone for, if he gets deployed. But I do want to pick your brain. I want to hear the perspective because like I said, a lot of us are focused right now on how to come home. And so if we're learning about this part of ourselves, I want to hear, Kendall, if what it's like to receive someone at home. Yeah, like what is it like when he comes home? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand the schedule first. So every department schedule is different. With CAL FIRE, the typical schedule is three on, four off, which you said is similar to what you do. Yeah, if I pick up the middle day, for sure. So we're usually only 24 on, okay. but a lot of us work overtime. Yeah. Yeah, so for him, he's gone at least three days a week. Um, it is a set schedule, so right now it's kind of nice because right now he's on like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for example. So Sick. every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, he's gone. I know it's good. Last That's year he was on schedule. the weekend, but it rotates every three months or so. Gotcha. So pretty soon he'll be on the other side of that again. Um but then in the summer months and in like the busier fire season months, it's very unpredictable. Sometimes he can be held on for three weeks straight. Whoa. So no visits. No. You're, you don't see him for well, three weeks. It depends. Yeah. It depends. There's so many different factors into Leo it. Leah would so. be hiking some mountain to try to yeah. find me after <laughs> a week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if he's so with cal fire sometimes there is staffing patterns so they'll just hold on all personnel for the whole state so if there's really big fires like a couple years ago and there was like the dixie fire up in northern california everyone's held on duty um if he's at the station i can go visit the station okay i can go and have dinner with him or like hang out and watch the sunset and walk around the station or something you know like that's really nice and i definitely take advantage of that Um, With Cal Fire, a lot of the stations are in really rural areas of the state. So a lot of firefighters travel upwards of four or five plus hours to where they work. Damn. If that's the case, it's much harder for their families to visit. Oh, for sure. Especially if they have kids or something. It's like you're not going to pack up the kids for a five-hour road trip to go have dinner. Right. Um, But most stations and the places that my fiance has worked have always been really supportive of people's families visiting, especially during those long stretches if we want to come. And even if their kids come and watch a movie with them at the end of the day or play games or whatever, they're pretty cool about accommodating that. Um, That is one perk of the wildland side is there aren't quite as many medical calls. So the stations aren't quite as busy as something like where you guys work, where you're right. busy 24 Do they do seven. medical calls at all? They do. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, okay. they do. Um, in those more rural areas, it's a lot of like car accidents. The good things ones. Things like that. Yeah. Um, but they do a variety of everything. They go on, they go on all the same types of calls that you guys go on. Sometimes it's just a little bit less. Less homeless. Pro- yeah. Yeah. For sure. Even though if I was homeless, that's where I'd be. I'd be in a rural area for sure. <laughs> You'd be like living in the mountains off the land. Yeah. <laughs> or by the beach. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, we've been pretty lucky that his schedule hasn't been too crazy. Um, but fire season's a whole nother beast. There's just so much. Right. The unpredictable nature of the job is really challenging. And I find that as a significant other, there's these time periods away where I get really used to being alone. I get in my own zone of how the house is when I'm by myself and what my routine looks like. And um, 
And then when he comes home, there's like this recalibration period of yes. like, what's it like to actually have a partner again? I've we been living by myself. That. I think every first responder couple can resonate with that experience of like this constant recalibration to being alone, being together, being alone, being together. And for those longer stretches of time away, it's harder to recalibrate. Like when he did his engineer academy um, last year, he was gone for 14 weeks. Um, so 14 week academy. And we saw each other like one weekend a month during that time frame. And coming back, it's like this, you have this feeling of like, oh, I'm so excited to reconnect with my partner. I can't wait to spend time together. This is going to be so amazing. Yeah. And then in reality, like <laughs> he's been living with 50 dudes for four months. Yeah. I've been alone for four months. And the dynamic of coming back together is much more difficult than people tell you. And for I think it's sure. really important to be honest and real about that because a lot of people say like, oh, the academy time is the hardest time. But what I found in my experience was actually like the first couple weeks back yeah. were the hardest time of yeah. just like figuring out our routines again together. And he's stressed out and he's studying and all that stuff. So he's got a lot going on and he just wants to be home just to probably asleep for a day. For just sure. Just to be by himself, just to be at, just to be. <laughs> Both of us, me and Trevor, we have our time. We separate ourselves to just recharge. And that's been vocal I know both of us have done that to both our partners. Hey, I need time to myself to recharge because if I don't, then I'm going to go, I'm going to just, you know, pop the top yeah, and freak out and uh, not freak out in a sense where I'm going to project myself, but more so I'm going to start not feeling myself. And then that's when it leads into an argument or, you know, something that may just trigger me into being short fused and then it just bottles up over time. So know yourself and just, kind of just reassess when you come home. And that's why when you stick to certain practices, you do breath work, things like that. It's going to help you kind of just recenter. Then you can engage in the, in like a full involvement with your partner at home. Yeah. I think for the first responders, having that time to decompress on your own is so important. Something I didn't realize until probably a year or two into our relationship was how little alone time Malcolm gets. Yes. Because thank you for bringing he's that up. Constantly around people. He has like, All he's having his meals with everyone. He's working yeah. out with everybody. He's like watching TV at the end of the day with everybody. He's like, they're together 24 seven right. where I'm at the house by myself. So I have this plethora of alone time where I'm just me and my cat where he is never alone. And especially yeah. for the academy where they're doing almost everything as a group of like 40 people. Never, <laughs> never alone. And he had a roommate for the academy too. So it's like really like zero alone time for four months where I've been totally alone. And yeah. I think that's a interesting dynamic for both the first responder and the significant other to acknowledge is, um, that sometimes as a significant other, we can maybe feel like lonely or we miss having that connection and partnership where for this, for the first responder, it can be like, I've been around people. I've been going on calls. I haven't been alone at all. Like I need to be alone. So there can be sometimes a disconnection of one partner wanting connection and one partner needing space. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you for sharing your intimate details of your relationship because you're you're helping so many couples right now understand the difference right because 
you know, for, for the longest time I was so selfish. I just prioritized what I needed and wanted in that moment of returning home. And it's really interesting to, to finally be aware of both perspectives, you know, because I was the exact same. Like, let's say I did, I don't know, a 96, right? Four days away. And I come home with all these expectations of, you know, she's going to run and jump into my arms and it's going to be romantic. And you're going to, you know, like reconnect. And, (laughs) and sometimes after four days apart, it's like a bit awkward, you know, like now she has someone, she has a guest, you know, in his home, but she's not used to being around someone. And as badly as I want to be with her, I've also been around people a lot, you know, and, and, you know, I'm learning how to ask for space and not get space as a consequence of blowing up and starting a fight. Like the other, Mm. the other day, you know, I just didn't ask for space maturely. And then when I came home, I I explained what was going on. Um, But she was so sweet. She was like, what are you watching? And I was like, ocean documentary. (laughs) Just, I'm so (laughs) sick of people. I just want to be underwater and like look at orcas and sea otters and, I said, will you come sit next to me on the couch? And she's like, are you sure? You know, you can be alone. And I was like, no, we don't have to talk. You know, I just, I just want to be near you, but I do need some time to myself. It's so important. You know, we're constantly, the phone's constantly ringing. I mean, even John and I are in East Hollywood, like the doorbell rings, you know, we'll sit down for a meal and someone's there, you know, or it's just, I've found that you know, and, and it's in, it's an interesting part of our culture that if you do crave um, isolation or seclusion, you're you're like an outcast. You know, mm-hmm. so like I've been at stations where you didn't work out unless everyone was working out at that time. Whereas personally, like I want a moment to myself. You know, and I I, I had to get used to the culture of my crew to understand that like yeah, we're all studying or we're all calling home or we're working out, but like you can be. Um, independent without being a loner, you know? Yeah. So it, it is difficult. Yeah. And I think it comes back to something we talked about with yoga, which is that non judgmental awareness. Yes. Like having awareness of these things in our relationships or of these challenges without freaking out, without being like, oh, this is a terrible thing. My relationship's falling apart. No, it's normal. Relationships have ebbs and flows. Not yeah. everything is a fairy tale perfect romantic wonderland right Right. um and i think it's important for couples to be able to acknowledge where there's challenges without seeing it as like a terrible thing a red flag absolutely and you know i'm divorced and so sometimes i mean i've been dramatic my entire life but like a lot of times we would you know have a disagreement or something and my ego would be like hey dude this is you know you're destined to get another divorce or or whatever it was but there was so much fear-based narrative going on Mm -hmm. and you know i love that we're talking about relationships because i've asked you know my close friends like like did you have a model for a healthy relationship did you have a model for true love and not many people did you know we're all raised on like hollywood and imagining what a relationship looks like and we don't know we're all figuring it out so to just admit right that there are ups and downs and if you love someone you'll work at it that's a that's a really healthy realization for sure i think everyone's still trying to figure it out it's not easy it's so it's always changing nothing's ever static so if you're gonna constantly you know every moment's gonna change so every shift's gonna change so when you get off and you're extremely exhausted or you get off and you have a lot of rest you know sometimes i get off 
and I feel really rested and I'm like all fired up to come home and excited. And that's actually not as good either sometimes. Oh, I know. Cause dude. I'm fired up and I'm just like, I'm still going off like a banter. Dude, I start cleaning quality. everything. Yeah. That's yeah. my kind of like signal to her that I'm still coming out of that hypervigilant state. It's just like, if I start cleaning, mm. so yeah. Yeah. yeah you go into these simple patterns we're used to at work and it's yeah. hard to shut it off. So when you just take a second, be like, okay, well, what am I doing right now? Why am I just cleaning so much? I'll do the same thing, dude. I'll just start taking yes. out the trash in my house and start yep. cleaning. I'm like, okay, hold on a second. I need to just sit down <laughs> and just relax. Yeah. And it's hard to do when you're still in that, that state. And yeah. it's just like a, a transitional phase, you know, with being able to, all right, I need to just really see where Haley's at. Because yeah. I haven't even talked to her yet. And I've been home for like three hours. Right. And sometimes I do that because I just get caught up in my own shit. And it's just the awareness. To, when I step out of it, then now I can really, you know, convene with Haley and like say, hey, how was your day? And, and just asking that, I forget sometimes. You know, I just get caught off in my own shit, you know, my own routine. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. You know, it's funny you brought up. Well, we I greeted you at the door today with John's new kitten right and we all have cats and it's so funny because i talked <laughs> shit about cats for years years like i didn't see them as good pets you know i was like why would you want something that doesn't even like you you know and <laughs> long story short you know like i i listened to a podcast where um the dude had a dog and a cat and he was talking about the differences in energies okay and so we adopted a cat six months ago and it's been life-changing. And and for me, it's it's served me so well to have an independent animal at home that I can't command to be affectionate with me. And I have to walk in with energy that is gentle and nurturing and also not like controlling. For me, like my cat, the greeting that I get from her when I walk in it changes me. It really like softens me. It brings my number down. And it's so funny just what you learn along your journey, you know, from a guy that used to say they're, they're terrible pets to now just being obsessed with mine and having it be such an amazing teacher for me to kind of like drop my number as a bridge to greeting Leah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, I mean, cats are stereotyped as like the more feminine where dogs are like the more masculine I think there's some truth there and when you talk about the cat in comparison to coming home to your fiance like I resonate with that a lot too from what I what I see with when Malcolm comes home is like he comes home kind of like you where it's like oh it's time to reconnect oh we're gonna have this romantic embrace and it's just gonna like yeah we're gonna be together it's like a dog now jumping at you at <laughs> yeah. the door and cats aren't like that yeah totally it's like a dog jumping gonna, at me like, at the sniff door you and, out. and my my reaction is like, whoa, whoa, like slow down. Like I haven't seen you in three days. Maybe I haven't seen you in three weeks. Yeah. Like I need to remember who you are and I need to feel <laughs> like loved and supported and like cared for before I'm ready for That's Leah. anything. This is so healthy for, for you to communicate this perspective. I think this is really great. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not one that I was aware of for like the first five years of my career. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think a lot of people are nervous in their relationships to vocalize these things, or maybe they don't even realize it. Right. You know, there's probably, whether it's um, a guy or girl, whatever, like there's people out there that aren't totally aware of, of these little intricate things. Like, why is my partner not wanting to just like embrace me and be with me right away? Or why is my partner wanting that so quickly? I need my space. 
and yes. and to just acknowledge where you're at in your relationship for the people that are listening like it's okay to communicate what your needs are because that's going to allow your partner to show up for you in the way that you need it's a gift communicating yeah. your needs and what you're feeling it's a gift and it doesn't happen overnight you know this is this is a long journey for me and i was a talker right but i was also guilty of gaslighting and manipulating and so now you know i've really tried to learn how to listen and not just talk with an outcome but just speak and express with just an intention so it does take practice and um we all are we're all learning right yeah so it's coming up on that time Okay. So you have so much going on. Is there anything that you want to <laughs> advertise about yourself in San Diego, the classes that you teach? Yeah, sure. Um, right now I'm teaching yoga at Mesa Rim, which is the rock climbing gym there. So if you like to rock climb or do yoga, that's where you'll find me. Um, but as far as my, my personal private practice is with my yoga therapy practice and I see people one-on-one, -on -one, that's really what I love to do and work with the fire academy so if anyone's interested in connecting and doing a yoga therapy session i actually would love to give a gift of a first session free to anyone who's listening to this so you can actually go on my website and yeah, use, i'm gonna book it right now yeah, you can use the code <laughs> grab lives and get your first session 100 percent off um That's just so to like connect and see what it's like because i know yoga therapy is the more like newer emerging field and there might be some uncertainties so yeah. um feel free to reach out to me and we can chat and see if there's work we can do together and i also yeah go speak at fire academies i spoke at the los angeles uh fire chief association conference a few years ago and things like that so if you're interested in bringing me out to wherever you are i love to travel and and come talk to groups um yeah follow me on instagram Kendall, Kendall and yoga. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, my website's kendallann.com. K-E-N-D-A-L-L-A-N-N-E.com. Well, thank you again for yeah. making the journey and coming up and sharing your perspective. It's been really wonderful to witness. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Yeah, thank, thank you for everyone who is listening and do some yoga. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. We love you. Thank you for all the support. Go ahead and... Um, uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify, and keep continuing the support. We've been getting so much good feedback, and we uh, we love this this project. It's it's really gratified, you know, our relationship with this field of uh, improving mental health, and along with just the awareness of self, and to really uh, bring all of us together, and we're all in it together. So, thank you, everybody. Bye.